You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And bringing you today's podcast is Himalaya. You can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcast app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. Frank, uh, we... We had a, a Tilly timeout that we needed to hit, so we uh, we did that. We, we had a, a crying baby that uh, kind of got in the way of us finishing uh, the mailbag that we were working on yesterday, which is totally fine. Uh, it also helped us limit ourselves from you know recording an hour and a half podcast to just like an hour. Um, so good for us, you know, really showing that restraint that we've been working on for so long. Um, so we're going to do the rest of the mailbag today. And then, uh, for Wednesday, we'll have a series preview. Um, I I don't think we learned all that much at, at Bucks practice today. Uh, I got a chance to talk to George Hill, Malcolm Brogdon and Mike Boonholzer. And we found out that Bud and his coaching staff got together and, and watched, uh, Sixers Raptors last night. Uh, so they hung out and did that. And uh, we found out that George Hill did not watch the game live. He was out to dinner with his wife and he thought she would be mad if on Mother's Day he was, you know, worried about about that game. Uh, we found out Eric Bledsoe felt the opposite way and watched the game on his phone while at dinner with his wife. And then his phone died, and he then used her phone to watch the game uh, while they were at Mother's Day dinner. So uh, some some different strategies, but ultimately, I would say that's about all we learned. We didn't we didn't learn anything about you know Malcolm Brogdon whether or not he'll be starting. I think that might make some sense. We can talk about that in the preview. Um, we didn't learn anything re- really too much else interesting. Uh, the Bucks are going to try to avoid any sort of I guess hangover from this six days off, even though uh, we almost know that it will happen because the Bucks don't like this. Giannis is on the record saying he wants to play every other day. So uh, yeah, this will almost certainly, uh, you know, affect them in some way, all this rest. Uh, obviously you want to look at the positives and say that, you know, they will be fresher, but also it's, it's going to be tough to a- avoid, you know, really, uh, you know, hitting the ground running uh, or being a- unable to hit the ground running because you've been off for so long. So we'll, we'll kind of see what all happens there. That was a long intro. Frank, how you doing? Uh, I'm good. Um, I had, I had a little bit of an issue last night uh, at home. We had, we had some, some friends over for dinner. Uh, one of those friends, somebody that we watched game of Thrones with uh, two of those friends, people that uh, were not going to watch game of Thrones with us. And um the friends who don't watch Game of Thrones wouldn't leave, um, so it was a little bit of an awkward situation. I was like, I, I had a traveler this morning for work, mm. um, and uh, you know, I it's like I I didn't want to just play the, you know, GTFO. I've got Thrones to watch card on uh, on them because mainly because they're more sure. my wife's friends. Um, but uh, so it was a bit of a late Game of Thrones viewing for me. I could not check Twitter for that reason uh, for like two hours, which of course you know had me sort of in withdrawal. Um, because, you know, unfortunately, like that's a show that if you want to watch it without spoilers, you can't really consume even NBA Twitter because everybody just talks about it. So I survived that. Um, I did watch, uh, good chunks of the Raptors Philly game. Um, I was rooting for Philly in the end, just because I, 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 I kind of like went back and forth on this, you know, we talked about it, like who would I rather face? I think ultimately I just felt like I'd rather face Philly. Just, I don't know. I just feel like the. Raptors have just been 
you know, I mean, they've been a better team kind of overall this year, but um, ultimately it's the Raptors, uh, Raptors who, who we're going to see the Bucks go against. So um, forget Philly. Uh, sorry, Sixer fans. Uh, you are no longer relevant to us and uh, on with, on with Bucks Raptors. Um, let's see. So we're going to hop back into the mailbag. Like I said, we'll break down uh, Raptors a little bit more seriously tomorrow. Obviously, we did a little bit of that at the start of our of our mailbag. And I would guess we'll maybe do a little bit more in this one. Um, but I guess we'll start off with uh, a question from Muppet Babies 31 at the Spangover on Twitter, um, who I told Frank the other day, I don't know if you mentioned this in the podcast because I didn't get a chance to listen, but I, I met uh, the man behind uh, at the Spangover and Muppet Babies 31 before game five, I believe it was. Uh, so shout out to him. Thanks for thanks for coming through and still my over to introduce you. Still my, favorite, uh, still my favorite Twitter screen name, Muppet Babies, especially now that my daughter watches Sesame Street every day and I'm extremely familiar mm-hmm. with Sesame Street. It's a great show. I appreciate the songs and uh, educational aspects of it. And it's somewhat entertaining even for adults. Uh, so Muppets, Muppet Babies, obviously a, a TV show I watched uh, as a kid as well. Big fan of Muppet Babies and the Muppet Babies theme song. All right. I've wasted enough time. What is Muppet Babies question, Eric? Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm just derailing us here right off the bat. Uh, there's a couple. Um, first, K- Kane Pittman equals George Hill question mark. Brought in for depth, surprisingly good. Uh, yeah, I don't hate that. Uh, I think, uh, I, th- I mean, obviously not, Kane is not the veteran that uh, that George Hill is, but uh, yeah, he, he is, he's definitely added to the depth of the of the Milwaukee Bucks beat and is now a, a good friend of the podcast. And, you know, shout out to him. Uh, I, I, I don't hate that. Uh, I don't hate that analogy. I'm trying to think of what could have been like disastrous there. Like, Kane Pittman equals DeAndre Liggins or something like that. Like that would that would be bad. But Kane Pittman, Kane Pittman equals George Hill. Not bad. I think if if they had said Kane Pittman uh, equals Kyrie Irving, um, that would have been really bad news because you've had to spend extended periods of times in cars <laughs> with Kane, and I feel like being locked in a car with Kyrie Irving, um, waxing poetic about life, would be enough to make me want to just like throw myself from a moving vehicle. So. Uh, I don't know how George Hill is on road trips, but uh, it seems like Kane is, uh, is, a, is a really good hang. So uh, so that's a positive. Um, and also, by the way, we had another question from uh, Scott uh, Grew. I believe that's how your name's pronounced, Scott, G-R-O-U-X. I'm just going to go the kind of French French pronunciation. Uh, he, he also asked, can you discuss uh, Kane's off-season outlook? Have to think he's tweeted himself into a fresh meaty contract <laughs> slash visa sponsorship. Hell of a playoff content run for the guy. Uh, agree hundred percent. Um, I, I don't know. I, I can't speak to, to Kane's, uh, you know, immigration situation or, uh, or, or employment situation or prospects, but, uh, we obviously love Kane. Uh, he's been everywhere. Uh, great story it was fun. I don't know if we, did we even really talk about that ringer, um, article that Brian Curtis did? I know we both talked really. to, to Brian as part of that. Um, but obviously, uh, yeah, it was nice to see Kane get some, uh, some national media shine with uh with his his i mean it's a terrific story right and obviously um you know kane's kane's great at kind of what he's doing so it's not like he's just some random guy who uh you know just decided to to cover a team and and just shouldn't be doing it he he's obviously great at it and um shout out to kane so uh yeah i don't know we'll i guess we'll just have to bring kane back uh soon to he can he can answer the question for himself or he can answer it on on the Eurostep podcast that he does with Ty Windish as well. So um, I, I guess that's that's really a, 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 a Eurostep um, uh, podcast or mailbag question more so than, than for us. But anyway, uh, other question from the Spangover: Are you surprised that there are no rumors about Bucks assistants slash Darvin Ham getting interviews for a head coach elsewhere? Um, I'm trying to think when it was. Darvin was mentioned as someone possibly getting an interview. I can't remember if it was with the Lakers or it was elsewhere. The Lakers would make sense because he did spend time as an assistant coach uh, with the Lakers before joining Bud Staff in Atlanta. Um, and I don't know if I'm necessarily surprised just because the Bucks are, you know, still in it. And I am, I do always wonder about um, 
you know, like a former player, assistant coach, like, like Darwin, obviously he's, I think, kind of taken an interesting path, like going from, uh, you know, an NBA player to, you know, really just kind of immersing himself into coaching. Like he's, he, he hasn't gone straight from playing to, you know, being a head coach somewhere. Like he went from playing to, I think, Albuquerque, uh, to coach a, a D league team when it was still very much the D league and not the G league. And then he, he moved up with the Lakers and the, now he's moved up Bud staff. And, you know, I, I just think he's, he's kind of gone through it. So I'm, I'm curious when, when his name will start to get mentioned more often, because I do think that, you know, there's, there's a really good NBA head coach in Darvin ham. Like, I think he's, he's a really sharp guy. Uh, obviously the hammer play is named after Darvin ham and his ability to read the play and like make the play. So like, though he's viewed as like an energy guy, ham slam, which is of course, um, you know, he, he was like actually like a really smart NBA player. Uh, and then obviously he's, he's been with bud for like five years and bud's bench has, you know, grown a number of NBA coaches at this point. So um, I do think there is a, a good NBA head coach in waiting there in Darvin Ham. I'm just curious when he'll start to get a few more opportunities. Yeah, I mean, being the lead assistant on a 60-win team and, you know, and one that's had such a great story, obviously, is uh, is not a bad place to be in terms of getting, hopefully, you know, options. Obviously, selfishly, uh, I think everybody would be thrilled to see the coaching staff, you know, back and just keep running it back year after year. But, you know, part of the, obviously the, the upside of, of um, being a good team is that people get a chance to grow and, and have opportunities to do bigger and better things. So, um, so yeah, I, I did kind of poke around a little bit. It looked like there was a rumor the Cavs might try to interview uh, Darvin, um, but they were kind of speculating, there was some speculation they might have to wait just given he was, um, you know, the Bucks were in the playoffs. I mean, typically you hear still, you know, still see guys interview, you know, um, and then Monty Williams was with still with Philly uh, while they were active when he got the um, uh, Phoenix job. So certainly, you know, that, that's not a reason to think he, he couldn't get an interview, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, um, you know, I mean, probably it's a compliment to Darwin that he wasn't interviewed for the Lakers job uh, given, given what their interview list looked like. <laughs> um, so we'll see. I believe Darwin did interview last year. Ironically, when um, when Bud kind of parted ways with the Hawks, I believe Darvin did interview for the Hawks job that ultimately went to Lloyd Pierce. So, um, you know, only 30 of these jobs in the world, so it's hard to get one. Um, but certainly he's a guy that, you know, has gotten a good reputation, has put in the work. Uh, and, you know, it's not like some big leap of faith to give him a job, I think, at this point, given he's been doing this for a while now. You know, he's not just some guy who literally just left the game and, and is now trying to figure out how to coach. So um, shout out to Darvin thrilled to continue to have him. And I guess we'll see, uh, we'll see if he does get any opportunities at some point this summer, or if that maybe he's down the road. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously I think Darvin, if, if you've gotten to see some interviews with him is, uh, you know, just uh, an incredible personality as well. And I think most guys on Bud's staff uh, are always going to lean towards being player coaches. Uh, so I think that'll, you know, go well for him as well. Um, the Spang over asshole asked for, uh, an in-depth Frank breakdown of the cap situation this summer. I think we hit on that in the first part of all of this. And I also think that I want to save, um, you know, some content for after the season. So we're going to bypass that one and we're going to move on to uh, a question from Brady Peterson, at Brady three zero 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 two one on Twitter, what is the best way to use Brogdon in the ECF? Is it to build him up to get back to being a starter, or is he best used from here on out, coming off the bench with Hill uh, being the caliber of a starting backcourt coming off the bench? Oh, with him and Hill being the caliber of a starting backcourt coming off the bench, and where is he physically at at this point? Um, I guess I'll start with the where is he physically at at this point. Um, you know, he is one hundred percent. And I, 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 so I always want to try to clarify this. Like he is at 100% of what he can be 100% at, at the moment. Um, as I've said, you know, when Brogdon came back from injury last year during the playoffs, as Middleton came back from injury the year before, like your 100% coming off an injury is going to be different than your 100% if you have a full off season. And 
I'm sure we're going to hear stories about that when, when Brogdon starts next year and, you know, I was playing better and, and doing all those things. So um, I will say that, but he is 100% at this point. Um, and what Bud has talked about, uh, he talked about it again today is that like, he just needs game reps at this point. Like the, the rest is, is nice. And, you know, obviously, you know, rest can't really hurt you physically, but like he needs game reps. Like he needs to get back into the flow of games. He needs to get back into, I think the conditioning that you can only find in a game, like you can, you can try to scrimmage and the bucks have done that some in the last couple of days. Like you can try to scrimmage, you can try to go really hard at practice, but it is just not going to be the same as playing in a game. So he needs game reps at this point. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the bucks do here, because, you know, I think there's a, at least some argument to be made that in this next series, he might make more sense to start uh, over Nikola Mirotic. Uh, if you if you look at Danny Green in in that starting lineup, I think that's probably a slightly better matchup for Malcolm Brogdon. But also, is he healthy enough? Uh, is he is he game rep ready enough? Uh, I, I think that's that's a, that's a good question as well. So, um, what, what do you think, Frank? Which which way do you lean? Because I think there's compelling arguments on each side of this. Yeah, I mean, if you just sort of look at it, I mean, if you keep Miritich in the starting five, um, I mean, really, other than game five, it's not like the, the the starting five that we've been seeing from, you know, game two on was actually, like, particularly, like, good at starting games together. Um, you know, they, they definitely had some issues. I think we saw them have some better starts in third quarters um, than, than at the starts of games, which probably has been kind of a, you know, a theme we've seen a lot for the Bucks this year, I think. You know, the first quarters generally were, were their their weakest um, quarter of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just kind of do the matchups there. I mean, you know, Gasol on Lopez, um, uh, Pascal Siakam defending uh, Giannis, and likewise, probably the reverse will also be true. And again, the, the Raptors do switch kind of off ball a fair bit. So I mean, these it's not like these are going to be really static. Um, but uh, Middleton and Kawhi obviously is, you know, has been what we've seen most of the year when, when these teams faced off and Lowry and Bledsoe. And that kind of just leaves Miritich and Danny Green, which again, obviously, you know, Miritich guarding a perimeter player, you know, normally isn't kind of ideal. Um, but the flip side is, I mean, Danny Green obviously is not um, like a, a guy that they're looking to create off the dribble or be, you know, a dynamic guy with the ball. I mean, he's, he's a great uh, defensive player and he's a great spot up shooter, right? Those are, those Danny Green things that he does and he does it really well. Um, so yeah, I mean, can Miritich uh, make sure he doesn't venture too, too far astray from, from Danny Green? Probably, you know I mean? Um, I don't know if they run Danny Green off tons and tons of screens. It's not like you're going against JJ Redick or something like that, which would be something that Nikola Miritich would not be able to do. Um, but if it's a matter of kind of guarding a guy who's standing in the corners or, you know, taking handoffs off the wing or doing something like that, I mean, probably do some of that um but yeah i mean i'd agree obviously the much more natural matchup would be to go with malcolm and i mean my view is i think we've said this before i mean you know ultimately this team is trying to get to the finals trying to win a championship and i think you know your probably best chance of doing that is playing kind of your your five guys that make the most sense long term and and so i think that does include malcolm at, at shooting guard now I say that acknowledging that coming into the season, I thought it probably like from a balance perspective made more sense to use Malcolm off the bench and start, you know, a Tony Snell type guy um, or Tony Snell specifically coming into the season. But that could have been, you know, take your pick of other Bucks wings uh, and use Malcolm as that kind of sub. Um, but I think interestingly, I mean, we've seen Malcolm be the first guy, the first sub uh, going out of the game, even as a starter, which, allows him to come back and play um, kind of like more heavy minutes, like late in first quarters and going to second quarters. Um, we've seen a lot of like Brogdon Giannis combinations with second units and things like that. So um, ironically, like if you, if you still have him kind of on some sort of like, you know, effective minutes limit, even if he's, you know, quote unquote, hundred um, percent. My view is, I don't know. I mean, just feel like maybe you just start him. you know, Danny Green isn't going to like, you know, again, just try to kill him off the dribble or something like that and really test him in that way. Um, and obviously playing with the starters, I mean, he's he's going to be able to do more spot-up action. He's not going to have to necessarily kind of be like downhill Malcolm right off the bat. So I, I don't know. My view is probably just start him. And then, you know, you also then avoid having three of your four bigs starting, you know, which is kind of a weird 
dynamic to have to balance. You know, when you have Giannis, Miritich, and Lopez all starting, then you know you, you have a four-man big rotation, but only one of those guys is coming off the bench. It's sort of a weirder thing to try to kind of balance out. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think starting Malcolm probably makes more sense, especially if you're going to keep playing. Obviously, George Hill is going to keep playing. I mean, I would fully expect Pat Connaughton to keep playing. I have no idea if Sterling Brown's going to play in this series. Um, but I, I just think it probably makes it easier to kind of just balance your rotations if you start Malcolm. And obviously that doesn't mean that you have to play him, you know, 30 minutes a game right off the bat. You can still be kind of selective in how you do that. I, I think it gets even more interesting just because of the way that Brogdon came back in game five. Yeah. Like, I, again, I I know it wasn't a ton of minutes and it wasn't, you know, you know like we can argue about whether or not the Celtics were actually wanting to play in game five or not, but you know, like he looked pretty solid. Like I thought he was going to look terrible in game five. I, I, f- I felt pretty good about that. Um, not good about him being terrible, but good about the prospects of him not being very good coming back. And, you know, I thought he was surprisingly solid. So it's like, like you said, the, the starting lineup wasn't crushing the Celtics or anything. So, you know, why not, go ahead and, and get it out of the way to start. And, you know, you can have him there and his matchup against Danny Green makes some sense. And and then you can use Miritich in, in different ways. And, you know, if you want to let Brogdon go for a longer stretch of time, you can do that. If you want to shorten it up, that's fine too. Um, so I, I think I would kind of lean with you. I think having him, you know, come off the, uh, off the bench maybe doesn't make quite as much sense. And, you know, being a, being the starter in this series maybe works out a, a little bit better. Either, even if you do still play him more limited minutes, like if he doesn't get above 20, 25 minutes a night, like you, you still kind of get, I think, maybe a little bit more control. And, you know, hopefully you can get him off to a good start with the starters. So um, I think I would be with you there. Uh, question from Ron in the key: Does bench sec- slash success without Malcolm impact chances to resign him? And I got to say, I th- I don't know that anything that is done in the playoffs changes the Bucks' chances to resign Malcolm Brogdon because I think the the thing that ultimately keeps the Bucks from resigning Malcolm Brogdon is an offer from a team that is just too large, right? He's a restricted free agent. They can match. So it would have to be something where it's just like, you know what? That's crazy. We, we can't, we can't do that. And I mean, I think if there's an irrational offer out there, well, you know, logic doesn't affect an irrational offer. Like if you're going to be irrational, you're going to be irrational. Um, so to me, I, I don't, I don't think there's really, really much that this postseason has to do with with Brogdon and kind of how it it works and you know I think for me uh, obviously you know you could try to think through the bench and you know how these other guys do things and if there's other people that could uh, supplant Malcolm and kind of what he's doing but I I don't know why you take that chance when he's a restricted free agent and you can just bring them back. Like as long as it's not too crazy, I, I think you just bring them back and that's that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe the um, seeing the Bucks win without him, maybe I think provides some useful perspective on, um, you know, for the Bucks and, and maybe the league in general, but most importantly for the Bucks that, Hey, you know, it's not like they're screwed without Malcolm Brown. Um, now a lot of that obviously had to do with George Hill playing at a really high level over the last month plus as well. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's like what we talked about in, in part one of the mailbag, like where we, we both said we think Lopez is more essential to this team, especially from a regular season standpoint, you know, game to game than than Malcolm, just because of like the uniqueness of what he brings and kind of the replaceability factor. And again, not that you're going to just go get, uh, you know, a guy like Malcolm in for, for the minimum or something like that. Like you, you're not right. I mean, you, you can't replace him, you know, in terms of everything he does um, and especially his ability to hit open shots and get downhill and get to the rim is really unique. And, and, um, and, and certainly there's nobody else on the Bucks roster who has quite that combination of, of skills. Um, so it's not, not meant to, you know, uh, degrade what Malcolm brings to the team. But, um, but yeah, I mean, again, like if it's uh, an option between giving Malcolm Brogdon, you know, matching a max contract offer sheet from another team or saying, 
think we have to move on. I mean, I think in that scenario, you, I would say if you're the Bucks, you move on just because of, you know, again, just the relative value of the contract and, you know, what that would mean for being able to bring back other guys, right? I mean, again, not that, that Malcolm's contract is fungible and you can go spend that money on George Hill or somebody else. But, um, but I think, you know, again, like there is some limit to what you can do. And I, I don't, again, I don't, I just don't think Malcolm's as essential to the roster as, as say Chris Middleton. And again, part of that's just because, um, you know, he's a, uh, more of a shooting guard type type guy. He's not going to D up like, you know, like Chris, Chris, you're looking at guys like Kawhi and, and Kevin Durant, you know, as potential playoff opponents. You're saying, well, nobody's going to shut those guys down, but I feel totally fine putting Chris in those matchups. Right. And Malcolm defensively is not a guy that you look at as like a guy that in, in those terms. Right. Um, and uh, and again, otherwise, yeah. offensively, I think you know you can you can see a lot of really positive things with Malcolm. Um, but there just you know there are some obviously some limitations to his game. And I think what we're seeing from him now is, you know, I'm not saying this is like peak Brogdon, but I mean what he's 26 years old. You know, I mean this is this is a really really good version of Malcolm. I don't think you necessarily want to put him in a role where he has to you know be on a team and take a ton more shots. I'm sure you could average more points or things like that, but obviously from like an efficiency trade-off perspective, this is a really good place for him, um, especially because he's more of a spot-up guy from three. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if it really changes much. I think certainly, you know, if he plays poorly because he's still getting his game speed up and, you know, like it, say a scenario where the Bucks lose to the Raptors and he plays really poorly. Well, I mean, look, I'm sure that would impact how teams view him relative to if he comes out and has a great series and the Bucks go to the finals and, you know, look really good slash win the finals and he plays really well. Right. I mean, obviously the playoffs matter. So I think, um, I think what happens from here on out definitely does matter to some extent. Um, but there are also other factors and, um, you know, like we've talked about as well. I mean, his medical history, um, especially his, his, the foot he broke in, in college, uh, not the one that he's had the issue with here with the plantar fasciitis issue and the fascia tear. Um, that is I, still something from what we gather that from people, not just us, uh, probably something that's going to impact, you know, team's willingness to go, let's just say really long, like a four year offer sheet, for instance, or, you know, a full max or something like that. I don't think we expect a deal like that to be out there. Um, but could, you know, a four year, $70 million offer sheet be out there? Sure. I, I think that's possible, you know, and again, and I think it's just a lot of it comes down to what happens in free agency and, you know, do teams strike out and, you know, some of these big, big names, do they end up signing with other teams in cap space or do they end up re-signing with their own teams who are already over the cap? And, you know, again, it's all just supply and demand. So I think it's gonna be really interesting to see. And, Absolutely. I think Malcolm has a lot to play for in terms of his market value. But uh, I would also say, barring another injury, I mean, I think the Bucks will definitely want to bring him back unless it's a really unreasonable number. All right. Uh, next question from Cedarberg Ham, who asks, uh, I mean, there's like three questions in here. Um, how many games does Vogel last with Kid? Maybe next season. And I, I, we already talked about uh, Kid and, and the messed up situation the Lakers have for him. Uh, yeah, that's just ridiculous. Um, another question, what is the 2020 version of the Anthony Mason signing? No, I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, how surreal does this feel compared to the last 20 years? That is something I can't answer. Uh, he says, for me, very surreal. Can't believe it's happening. And yeah, I mean, I think with with an organization that has been as futile as the Milwaukee Bucks, this is this is pretty crazy. And for it all to to happen in kind of one season is, yeah, is, I think surreal is kind of a, a good word for for anyone who watched the Milwaukee Bucks for you know a, a large portion of their adult life. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm finally kind of coming to grips with it. I mentioned uh, in kind of recently one of our pods where uh, I talked a little bit about just sort of like the realization of what it was like, kind of kind of acknowledging that the Bucks were actually had a, a real chance to win a championship. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there is obviously always sort of like still that paranoid part of me that like expects something horrible to happen or, you know, like, I, I don't know, but and that's, I, I can't shake that. I mean, maybe if the Bucks win a championship, I'll shake that. But, um, <laughs> you know, like right now we're in that weird spot where it's, it's still so new that there is still sort of, this like honeymoon type feeling. Um, you know, the Bucks are not a team that, like it feels like there's all this like weight of the world, like 
if they can't figure it out this year, break them up. Or like, when is Giannis finally going to win a championship? You know, like we're not at that phase yet. I mean, we're still the, you know, maybe a year, a year or two away from that, depending on what happens here. Um, so there is still kind of all still this very much like people still acclimating to the Bucks being as good as they actually are, you know, like, the, so it's, it's like, if the Bucks lose the Raptors, I don't think people are gonna be like, oh, the Bucks are failures. Like, how could they, you know, whatever. Um, and, and I think that's also important because, you know, I mean, if the Bucks, let's say, don't look that good against the Pistons and then lose in any number of games to the Celtics. I mean, we've heard what Mark Lazary has said publicly about, you know, what they're willing to do in the luxury tax. I mean, Alex Lazary on this podcast back uh, in the fall or I guess December. Um, December 20. Yeah. I mean, kind of echoed this, a similar sentiment, you know, if the Bucks are, you know, contending for a championship, then that means one thing versus if they're not doing those things, then that means another. Now, I would argue even if the Bucks lose against the Celtics, I don't I don't think it would have been because of some fundamental flaw that just could not be resolved in their roster. You know, maybe you could argue, well, Brooke Lopez isn't a guy you want to pay twenty million dollars to, but you couldn't have done that anyway. <laughs> you couldn't have done that anyway, right? Um, the guys that the Bucks are gonna be paying are not really guys, you know, between Middleton, Bledsoe, Brogdon, let's say. I mean, these are not players that are, you know, gonna get destroyed by like a matchup or played off the floor or something like that. So um, I don't know. I mean, I've kind of been viewing it as like, you know, this roster, maybe it wins a championship. Maybe it gets to the Eastern finals, whatever it does. This is a really great roster. And, um, you know, I'm kind of bleeding over into sort of uh, other territory. But um, as far as like the surreal sur- surreality of this question of, of this season, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm now I've had to like do so much sort of like mental gymnastics around how do you sign these guys and what does that mean? that I feel like I have sort of like now kind of adapted to like the reality of where this Bucks team is. I, I still think, you know, the kind of NBA community writ large, you know, NBA national media probably is still not really used to the idea of the Bucks being as good as, as they appear to be. Um, and as they are showing on the court now, but um, you know, I think for me, it's, it's, I don't know, again, like we talked about it, like I'm, I'm really just trying to enjoy it. Right. I mean, just, try to enjoy every step of the way because hopefully this lasts a long time but um you know that's that's all you can say that's why we follow sports right we follow sports so we can have this shared experience um you know mike mountain on our podcast yesterday uh you know sharing it across generations with your family like for me doing that with my parents and my friends it's it's such a great i mean this is why we love sports it's not because you know necessarily there's just something intrinsically cool about a bouncing ball going through a hoop um but just sort of all the collective energy and interest and what it means to be a fan. I think it's, um, it's obviously something that, that I think Bucks fans have had coming for a long time, being able to experience something like this. And, you know, again, um, hopefully people are, are getting over the surrealness and enjoying it for what it is. And, and again, hopefully it, it lasts. For a long time. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of, you know, how you have to have to view all this because it's, you, you really have no idea how long it'll last. you, and I mean that just for for this year. Like you, you have no idea how long it'll last. Will they win here in the Eastern Conference Finals? What will they do in the finals if they make it there? And then you don't know how long it'll last going forward. So um, you know, it being surreal, I think should help add to the fact that you know it, it can all go away very quickly. Like all of this can can disappear pretty quickly, which is why you know your point about enjoying it and and trying to kind of stay in the moment is so important. I think Bucks fans have to try to do that and, and try to enjoy this run as it happens. Uh, final question from Ham. What is Bud's version of George Carl's lozenge or green jacket? And I don't think Bud really has one. Um, no fish ties. Yeah. Yeah. There's no fish ties. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, I think like, yeah, I think the closest thing is maybe his, yeah, no to questions. He'll do that a lot. Uh, but that requires you to be like listening to like every press conference that he does to really pick up on it. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think he really has. I mean, actually, no, he does. It's, it's the bud face, right? <laughs> that is his most memeable uh, trait. The like disgusted, confused uh, bud face on the sideline. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure there's, there's anything really, you know, like his, 
I guess his fashion is is a compliment that we don't really notice it. Like I don't, he, there's nothing particularly weird about yeah. it. Uh, yeah, but just sort of, I mean, he kind of embodies, you know, this team, like just very steady. You know, yeah. well, I, I was gonna say nothing flashy. Well, Giannis is about as flashy as as it gets, just in just uh, doing crazy things for perspective. But uh, other than that, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I think the team team really does reflect his uh his sensibilities in in some very very positive ways just in terms of the steadiness reliability and and predictability of which um you know pr- previously we would have said predictability could also be a negative um but i think fortunately he, he began to shake that as well uh last series all right a uh, question from hector johnson is there any concern going forward about the bledsoe extension given his age in his poor offensive series against the celtics i mean i think yeah right like there's but I, I don't want to say that, you know, that concern wasn't there before he signed the deal, right? Like, mm-hmm. we we talked about it the day of, like, when, when we recorded that podcast. Uh, I guess that would have been Saturday morning following the extension break it on Friday in L.A. Like, we talked about it the next morning. And, you know, I talked about how going into the playoffs, there's probably – there probably would have been a huge range on exactly where his deal – could end up being. And I think the Bucks tried to, uh, you know, get rid of some of that nervous energy from him, like to make him not think that he's playing for his contract uh, in the playoff, in the playoffs, I think is probably a good thing for him ultimately. Um, but I will say too, that, you know, looking at the way that he's defended this year, again, that could go away quickly, obviously, as, as Hector mentioned with the age and obviously some of the injuries that Bledsoe has suffered as well, that, you know, maybe that that athleticism and that ability to get over screens could go away pretty quickly. But, you know, if you get first team all defensive stuff and then some up and down contributions like at 17 million a year, I don't I don't think it's that bad. Like think about what the Raptors are paying Kyle Lowry for essentially that. Right. Like Lowry's offense is going to be up and down in the playoffs and you know, you're going to be paying for his defense and kind of what he does, and they're paying considerably more. So, I, I, I mean, obviously, I think there's some concern. I think it's concern that was was there originally with the Bledsoe extension, and um, you know, I, I think for the most part, he's he's been he's certainly been better this postseason than he was last postseason. Um, but yeah, like, I still think there's some questions about exactly uh, what he's going to be going forward. Yeah, Lowry is an interesting matchup because um, you know bo- both point guards have had their share of issues in the playoffs uh in kind of a mixed bag now i think lowry um lowry has been better than DeRozan. i think you look at some of his numbers i mean i think last year lowry was actually really good um overall in the playoffs but uh you know he stunk against the bucks this year i think his shooting splits were like 20 under 30 percent from the field and five percent on threes so i i think you'd probably say he made one out of 20 probably threes as i assume what happened um so i mean he has really struggled against bledsoe in the box i mean obviously some of that's just him struggling i mean it's not like bledsoe alone can be credited with lowry struggling against the box but lowry obviously has had um you know he's had some real eggs he's laid in the playoffs he did it in game one against um orlando uh and you know he, he's had a scoreless game against the Bucks this year right so um you don't know necessarily what you're going to get from him game to game but uh, you know, he's about three and a half years older than, than Bledsoe. And, um, I mean, Lowry is not like the physical, physical freak that Bledsoe is. Um, but I think there are some similarities in the sense that, um, they both, uh, I mean, Lowry is, is kind of weird, right? Cause like he has kind of a, a physicality to him, especially when he was a little younger that he played with. Um, and so I think his, his physicality was definitely a plus for him. It's not like he's a guy who has had to overcome his his body per se, you know, he had, he's always had kind of a weird game in that way. Um, obviously historically he's been, um, you know, a better three point shooter than Eric Bledsoe this year, actually uh, under 35%. So not, not really that, that great, um, overall. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's a guy that I think makes winning plays. And I think, you know, especially if you look at Bledsoe and how he will age, um, you know, uh, when Bledsoe was right, I think he's a he is a guy who makes winning plays, especially with his defense. Um, but you know, you hope that that he can continue to you know age gracefully. And I think Lowry is actually a great example of that. I mean, he's a guy who came along very slowly um, in terms of his his career. I mean, he's I believe let's see, he was drafted in 2006. Really didn't emerge as a starter until he he was in Houston in 2010-11. So 
took him a while and Bledsoe obviously as well took him a while to really find, um, you know, find a, a, a an opportunity in the NBA after being behind Chris Paul in, in LA. So um, I, I would say, you know, absolutely. It's fair to be, you know, a, a, let's just say a little wary of, of Bledsoe kind of aging well on that contract. Um, but I think, as you said, you know, the upside is he does help you in multiple ways. And he's not just a guy who, you know, is a freak offensively and, you know, is kind of a so-so defender or whatever, right? I think as long as he remains engaged and healthy, um, which is something that, knock on wood, we haven't had to worry about, interestingly, since he's come to Milwaukee. Um, I think that's obviously the, the kind of big thing for me. I mean, I think if he stays healthy, he'll be fine on that contract. And again, I think the other thing too is this team, again, when you kind of balance the roster and put the kind of players around Bledsoe and Giannis that, that the Bucks have, it also masks, I think, like, for instance, his, his shooting, right? I mean, we talked for a long time. I mean, how much, how much airplay has DJ Augustine gotten with us because he's a good pull up three point shooter, right? I mean, um, you know, but with Bledsoe, um, you know, he's not a great three-point shooter, was better as a pull-up guy this year, actually, kind of like Chris Middleton. But, um, you know, I think you can mask a lot of his, his inadequacies as a shooter just by virtue of the kind of shooting depth and style the Bucks play, which obviously, you know, we talked about even coming into the season that the Bucks kind of spread spread offense would help Giannis, but it would also help Bledsoe. And I think we've seen that certainly um, for, for the entire season. And again, I think whoever wins this matchup of Lowry versus Bledsoe, I think, um, you know, I think that's one of those matchups that, that the winner of that is going to have a big leg up in the series, especially if it's decisive. All right, a uh, question from Tom Fountain. Does Giannis ever get up to 43-plus minutes like most superstars do in the playoffs, or do you think Bud will keep the rotations slash minutes like he has? Um, I've mentioned this on a couple of podcasts, a couple of radio hits. Um, you know, I... I think Bud's going to try to keep things as as similar as possible for as as long as he can. Uh, I think he he believes in what they've done this year, and I think he's gotten Giannis to a point where he believes in it as well. And you know, I don't I don't think there's going to be you know some really huge games. I know talking with Giannis, he thought you know there's probably going to be some times where he goes up to you know thirty nine, maybe forty minutes for a game, and we did see that in Game Three uh, against the Celtics. I think it was Game Three against the Celtics. Uh, he goes up to thirty-nine minutes, I believe, in that one. Chris Middleton up that high as well. And other than that, like the rest of that series, it was all all pretty normal. Um, so I, I think I think Bud will try to avoid that. I think he does believe in their depth, and, and you know I think this Raptors series is going to be an interesting one because in Game Seven you saw them go down to a seven-man rotation. Um, so there is, you know, maybe some some spots where the bench mob is going to have to go up against some starters, and, and you know that might make it a little bit more difficult. So we'll we'll kind of have to see. But I, I every indication I think we've received thus far is that the Bucks would like to do things how how they've done things all year, and uh, if they have to adjust out of it, they will. But if they can, they're going to try to keep it just about the same as they normally do. And I would say, I mean. Obviously, it's hard to question Bud in in kind of general and broad strokes, given kind of the success that they've had in the regular season and playoffs. But I mean, I I think if you're playing Giannis 35 minutes rather than 38, 39, 40, or or maybe even more. I mean, I in the playoffs, you know, again, I think a lot of what we've seen so far has been just a byproduct of they haven't really like been that threatened. Um, especially like the Detroit series, obviously, like there was really no reason to do it. And other games, he's had some foul trouble, which has also impacted his minutes. Um, but I think if he doesn't have foul trouble against a team like Toronto, I mean, I, I just think you're, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're playing Giannis, you know, 35 minutes and not 40. Right. I think, I think that 39 minute outline that we saw in that, that Boston game, I mean, I think that should be at a minimum, the new normal. I mean, if you're trying to maximize your chance of winning, I mean, we talked about this, um, I think last week, you know, or, or maybe no, I think it was actually at the beginning of the playoffs, maybe, but, um, you know, even with, or no, no, it was right after the first Boston game. Um, you know, Giannis minutes 36 to 40 is always going to be better than Ursan Eliasova minutes 10 through 14, right? Yeah. Um, so I think, especially, especially given, um, 
you know, some of the personnel that, that Toronto has with, with Siakam and Kawhi and what those guys can do physically attacking, uh, attacking the basket. Um, I think you're going to have to really, you know, ride Giannis more than the Bucks have so far. And again, part of the benefit of having not kind of run his odometer too hot, we talk a lot about, you know, Kawhi and all the rest he's gotten and how they've been able to really ramp up his minutes in the, in the playoffs. Um, you know, I think the Bucks can, can certainly, they should have the latitude to do the same. Now, again, like it's not necessarily easy to play 43 to 45 minutes after not playing ever that much during the regular season. Like, I mean, I don't know if Giannis like is going to be as comfortable doing that as he was maybe you know last year, um, but I think at a minimum, you know, I, I'm 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 always going to bet on marginal Giannis minutes over marginal minutes of anybody who would otherwise take them. So, um, so yeah, I I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, if the Bucks if the Bucks lose a game that Giannis plays 35 minutes in, I mean, I think it's a very valid question to say, well, why wasn't Giannis playing more? Right? I mean, we've We've seen, I mean, in that, that Philly series was insane. I think, you know, the Embiid differential on off, right? They just got absolutely torched when Embiid didn't play. And obviously, Joel is a guy who um, has, uh, let's just say, far bigger stamina issues than, than a player like Giannis. So um, so I think that's an inter- really interesting question to ask. Again, is he going to play 45 minutes per game? No. Um, but, like, should he be closer to 40 than 35? I absolutely think he should. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if that's something that, that they are a little more um, direct about doing. Like, do they just make that more of a second half thing, right? Or do they, you know, like, for instance, do they give Giannis a brief rest at the end of the third quarter and then just go him, you know, play him full fourth quarters, for instance, something like that. We have not really seen him play full quarters with any regularity. I think, I think, I think, I think we may have seen that in the playoffs in Boston in one of those games, but in the regular season, that really didn't happen. Yeah, it, that that is something that uh, Bud has been loath to do. It's it's just not kind of what he's been about. So I, I agree. I think it's going to be interesting to watch and see if if they do end up going in in that direction at some point. Uh, just because you know we really we really have not not seen much of, of any of that. Uh, so we'll see if, if that kind of changes going forward and. Uh, you you mentioned him playing a full quarter. He would have done it in game three against the Celtics, uh, except Bud took him off for the final 15 seconds of the second quarter uh, for him to avoid a cheap foul. Uh, so otherwise he would have played the entirety of the second quarter in that one and then uh, got himself up to 39 minutes by doing that. So uh no, has not done it yet in the playoffs. So we'll we'll see if that occurs here in this series. Uh, Andrew Delgado, most of us are too young to actually remember the 01 run. I had a cousin who actually worked for the Journal Sentinel at the time. You would tell me stories about the city. Can you tell the differences of the two runs? I cannot. Uh, <laughs> I, I am I am one of you, Andrew. I am too young. Uh, me at ten years old does not remember what the city was like at that moment, largely because I didn't live in the city. I lived in a suburb. Um, I mean, I, I, I remember being, uh, you know, pretty pumped about it and, you know, hoping that they were going to win the series, but that, that's about all I got, Frank. I, I, obviously you're not in the city right now, so I don't know that you can really speak to it either. Yeah. I mean, so during that playoff run, that was my, uh, let's see, sophomore year in college. Um, so I was, twice as old as you. I was 20 at the time. Um, I came back, uh, my school year ended and I did come back. I got to go to one of the Eastern conference finals games. I remember where I was when big dog missed the baseline shot. Um, but again, it's like, I don't remember, you know, like there was no Twitter. I, I wasn't on any message boards at the time. Like I just sort of consumed the bucks kind of more in like my own vacuum of like my friends and, and that kind of stuff. So um, it, it was not as immersive as kind of like it is now. And obviously I'm older and I've, you know, spent a decade now kind of writing about and talking about the team in a way that obviously I wasn't doing at the time. So my, my whole perspective, I mean, we didn't have any advanced analytics really like, you know, my whole perspective on kind Mm -hmm. of like how I consume basketball was different. Right. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard for me to really even speak to like, I mean, I don't, I don't remember enough about those games to really offer like, you know, again, like I, I, I know retrospectively a lot of the talking points of what happened in the series, but um, you know, like I don't, I don't really remember 
a lot of detail kind of game to game. So, uh, so yeah, I, I can't speak to it that much. And even though I was in, uh, like I said, I mean, I was living in the suburbs um, and I went, did go to uh, one of the East finals games. It's, it's hard to say. I, I can't really speak to, to exactly what it was like. I, I will say this. I, I remember generally, not just that season, not just that playoffs, but generally coming home while I was at school and going to games um, and really being struck by how the crowds changed around that time. And um, I mean, it's kind of funny now because it's almost like it doesn't even sound like it would be a compliment, but I remember people would refer to uh, the Bradley Center as Arco East, uh, Arco being the old Kings arena that actually was like a great, a great Mm -hmm. venue and great place to play for for a lot of years. Um, And I I remember, uh, (laughs) I remember the bark board. Uh, Are you aware of the bark board, Eric? Have you, you, was this ever on your radar as as a young fan? Do you know what I'm talking about? Is, is it when they asked you to bark for a big dog? No, uh, you're in the you're heading in the right direction. But um, they would put a uh, like a graphic up on the screen, and it was called the bark board, and it was basically like encouraging people to start like yelling and, and making noise, and it would like measure like you know quote unquote measure how how loud mm-hmm. the crowd was, and of course like as in any sporting event, you know like it's the stupid stuff that you're like told to do that makes you louder than like anything that happens in the game itself. Um, but I just remember sure. like the bark board, man, like it got just deafeningly loud in the Bradley center. And as somebody who grew up, you know, in the, the early to mid nineties with my parents having season tickets and, you know, in middle school, high school, going to get tons and tons of games. Um, it was really a foreign experience. I mean, expecting your team to win every night was a really foreign experience. Um, and then the crowds, um, you know, night in, night out were, um, were, were great. And, um, you know, I, I, I rewatched a while ago the, um, I guess it was game seven against the Hornets, the East semi that year, um, that had like a bunch of, like, there was a big dog buzzer beater. And I think Ray Allen scored a ton of points. You know, I, I can't even really remember even though I, I watched part of the game on, on TV, uh, or maybe I, I think it was on NBA TV not that long ago. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, again, it's, it was a much, I'd say it was a much simpler sort of way for me to consume basketball. So it's still kind of hard for me to compare, but I mean, again, like just everything, like having a true superstar in Giannis, an MVP in Giannis, having a new arena, you know, the, the deer district, everything around it. And just how things like now, I mean, things go viral. Like it's, it's just different, you know, like you're just so much more aware of everybody getting into stuff that I, I think it's just really hard to compare, but I would say what's happening right now is, is definitely more special. And obviously, um, you know, you'd expect it to also last longer than, than what happened with, you know, the big three, which was, you know, ultimately ended up being a pretty shockingly um, short-lived window of success for, unfortunately, for the Bucs. All right. uh, Nishana Abraham asked, who is a tougher matchup for the Bucs, Toronto or Philly? I think we've kind of talked that through in the last two days. Uh, His bonus question, though, now that the Rockets and not the MVP have been eliminated, will Frank Madden's wife and daughter jump on the Bucs bandwagon? That's only a question that you can answer. (laughs) Well, uh, my daughter... I guess technically you can't even answer it. Like both, <laughs> like your wife and daughter would have to answer it. But you can, I guess, answer for them in proxy. Uh, I'm probably the best person on this podcast to answer the question. Uh, well, my daughter has not been had to jump on the, any bandwagon. I mean, she was born on the bandwagon. Um, the day she was born, Giannis scored 40-plus uh, against the Nets in that game he came back from after sitting out a couple games last year. Uh, I mean, she was born, I think three days after Jason Kidd was fired. So, you know, she, her birth really signaled kind of the new she, dawn. She's of, living. Of the Bucks. She's living. Yeah. I mean, she will never know the the pain that, uh, that the fire kid movement had to, had to go through hopefully. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, she's, she's got her Bucks onesie. I've got, um, I've got, uh, I've trotted her out in that a few times. Um, you know, when I have, uh, have people over, I, I, we have kind of like some, the, uh, Bucks, Wisconsin expats. I, I come over for uh, for for Bucks games at my house. Our friend Mitchell Maurer uh, from Brew Hoop and uh, Connor Tierney and, and Bill Canzanieri. Um And uh, she's usually actually kind of nervous because like she's a little distrusting of men that she doesn't know so well. Uh, so like when a bunch of dudes show up, she just like wants to sit on my lap and just kind of is quiet, which uh, she usually is more more active than that. So. She's kind of like, you know, the, the commotion is maybe a little, little, little much for her at times, but, um, but yeah, she's on board. Uh, and then my wife, uh, 
she she she's on board as well. She's always been sympathetic to the Bucks cause. Um, she was she's taken the loss of the Rockets reasonably well. Um, she has generally, I think, since becoming a mom, just had has figured out how to better kind of channel her uh, anxieties about the Rockets. Although, like I said, I mean, she is really into NBA basketball and the Rockets in general. I'm not. It's not just like you know, oh, I I have a Rockets shirt and I wear it sometimes. Like she's a massive Rockets fan. She watches like every Rockets game. So um, disappointing, obviously the way their season ended, but um, you know, at, at least now we, I guess there is some upside in that we will not have a civil war over, uh, over the NBA finals. So, um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully everybody is, uh, is experiencing similar enjoyment with their, their family getting into, uh, into the, into the, the bucks. And as we were talking yesterday on, on one of the questions, you know, it's a nice uh, thing to unify us and bring us together with uh with our family and friends. Griff Jones asks, what is the current status of rule number one? Never trust the Bucks. I mean, I, I would say I, I think it, it's probably gone. I think you're at a spot where you can trust the Bucks, but everything that you've said on this podcast would make me believe that you are not fully ready to, uh, to get rid of never trust the Bucks. Um, I mean, it, the, 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 I would say, the scope of of the idea of not trusting the Bucks has just changed so dramatically. I mean, like if the Bucks lose in Game Seven of a series or something like that, and like they don't play well or you know whatever, they blow something. It's like that's a very different thing <laughs> than you can't trust this team to you know finish with a you know a home court record, a home court advantage in the first play in the in the first round type record, right? I mean, we're, we, we've kind of graduated into like a new level of expectations. So um, obviously, if, uh, if they disappoint at some point, I mean, obviously, the loss to Boston, I'm sure, uh, you know, it, it kind of crossed our mind maybe a bit. Um, but I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt that, uh, that, you know, not just on the court, um, certainly, there's, there is justifiably uh, all the trust in the world in Giannis. Uh, in his supporting cast and, and Bud, um, but probably like the, the most interesting is just like the franchise as a whole. Like they've actually like just made a lot of really good decisions um, from like a front office standpoint, and um, I think that's probably the thing that probably surprises me the most is just like feeling like I expect the Bucks to make good decisions <laughs> as a franchise in terms of trades and signings and things like that. I mean, again, like I'm not gonna, I know I'm not gonna agree with with everything, for, and again for whatever my opinion's worth. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the franchise from like a business standpoint, really since the new ownership group has come in, I mean, I think pretty quickly they, I think earned trust pretty quickly there. I mean, showed that, that you could trust them from kind of the business deal-making side. Um, and now obviously from a basketball standpoint, you know, the, the, the front office and, and that kind of bleeding over now into also what's happening on most importantly on the court. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, it's always a little bit in the back of my mind that paranoia, <laughs> but um, it's I, th- I think the the principles involved, the players, coaches, front office, and in the, the ownership group, I think has largely graduated from uh, being associated with you know my my old paranoia. And again, I mean, it's the bar is now a championship, yep. right? If you don't win a championship, it's going to be like crap. I wish I wish things had gone differently. That that season could have been better, and that's there's no higher bar than that. But this is what you know, I mean in, in 2013-14, you win 15 games. This is what you dream of, you know, having being able to have those types of expectations. So, um, you know, it's all good. Uh, don't don't uh, as we've as you've mentioned, like the there's nothing worse than sort of the curse of low expectations and and being a prisoner to uh, to low expectations. And I think obviously the Bucks are are in a very different place. I, I was joking on Twitter. I mean, I the lottery is, is Tuesday night. And I have not thought at all about <laughs> draft prospects. I have not watched YouTube clips of guys. I don't know who could be in play at number 30, if, assuming the bucks make that pick for themselves. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's just, yeah, very, very different and strange world that we live in these days. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I think it's, it's, it's dead to me. Um, I'm sure it can come back at any moment. Um, but you know, for this season, I think it, I think it's done. I, I think they've earned it at this point. I, I think at this point, you can trust that they they're one going to put a good product out on the floor, and two are going to perform at, at a pretty high level when when they are out there. So um, 
yeah, I think never trust the Bucks for me. Um, you know, I don't want to say it's all the way dead because then everyone's going to say uh, I'm a jinx and then the Bucks are going to get swept. So I guess it's never actually dead um, because that paranoia will always be uh, in the back of your head. But um, yeah, I, I think you're right in saying that, you know, the, the entire franchise has kind of changed levels and changed uh, who they are in many ways. So uh, that's going to be that. That is going to be it for us uh, for the mailbag. Uh, Managed to, I think, clock in just around two hours. So good for us. That's that's pretty good for us. Uh, tomorrow we'll preview Bucks Raptors and, and get you ready for for the Eastern Conference Finals. So we'll try to do all of that tomorrow. Uh, remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Lockdown Bucks on the new Himalaya Podcast app and an ever expanding podcast world. You need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and new features every single day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Lockdown Bucks. And remember, you can subscribe to the show on the new Himalaya Podcast app as well as. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast, Locked on Bucks. For Frank Mann, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.